Turn your Bibles with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to be looking this morning at verses 10 through 21. Let me uh, pray for us. Let's pray. Father, um, we've come to offer to you praise, beginning with trading our sorrows for life in you, beginning with declaring how great you are and how wonderful you are as our great and awesome God. We've worshipped you as we see you sprinkle the nations, as we see you sprinkle us and our offspring and our offspring's offspring. We worship you, O Lord, by giving to you praise through tithes and offerings. We come now to worship you through sitting at your feet and hearing you open your word to us, words of life. Lord, it's all about our praise to you. We thank you for giving us this privilege once each week, the Lord's Day, set aside that we might come and show our gratitude and our love and our praise to you. Lord, open your word to us now. Teach us, direct us, redeem us, save us, use us. All for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, hear God's word as I read, beginning at verse 10. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest to God. And I hope we are made manifest also in your consciences. We are not again commending ourselves to you, but are giving you an occasion to be proud of us so that you will have an answer for those who take pride in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it's for God. If we are of sound mind, it's for you. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. He's committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You know, uh, every week in reading the news, I read of some uh, famous person. Some celebrity, uh, it could be uh, a preacher, could be an athlete, could be a uh, businessman, businesswoman, could be uh, an act, some actor, entertainer, some singer, somebody's famous that is checking into an addiction facility, checking into some sort of therapy and treatment center. They've been burdened, they're struggling, they've got problems and pain and they've tried to fix it through drugs or alcohol or, or something and and when I read these stories you know it's disappointing 
not only is a hero of ours fallen somehow, but it's disappointing that there's a better life. And they're checking in in such a way, it's like they don't understand, they don't realize there is a better life. We just sang a song by Zach Williams, Chainbreaker, and he, the song starts out, it says, you know, you're going down the same old road for miles and miles. You don't realize you're just you're trying to fill the same old holes that you're, you've got this pain and you need a pain taker. You don't have direction. You need a way maker. I mean, it just goes on and on. Uh, when I heard that song first, I said, well, I would like to know a little bit about where that came from. And it's really Zach Williams' testimony. He grew up as the son of a worship pastor and it really didn't grip him. I mean, he went through a good life, but it didn't grip him until after uh, college and marriage. And he uh, started this rock and roll band and uh, was traveling to other countries. And God said, you know, you, you're doing this the same old, same old. And it's, there's a better life than, than what, you're, what you're pursuing. And it gripped him. And it changed him. And as, as I read that, his testimony and story that came from that, I said, yeah, that's exactly right. Why do people not get that? You can grow up in church. You can be in the world and, and just not get that there is a better life. And this better life is given to us as a gift in Christ. We don't have to do anything for it. It comes to us without cost. And there's no catch. And that's the life that's described here in 2 Corinthians uh, five I want, I want you to think about it you know do you have pain you need that pain taker you need that way maker that chain breaker uh, it's Christ he says I'm giving you newness therefore if anyone's in Christ he's a new creature verse 17 the old things passed away behold new things have come there's a better life Jesus says it in John 10 10 says I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly uh, what a life God has given us. And there's so many people, and you can read them about them this week as well, that are missing that better life. I want us to think about that better life God's given us. First of all, we have to acknowledge that our life is unfulfilled without Christ. We need to see where we are. And that's where this passage begins to take us, um, to this, this understanding of the need for a new life. Um, put it to you in two ways the need for a new life is so crucial and it's so urgent that God has made us people who will beg other people to see it and come to this new life the the need for a new life is so great so crucial so urgent that God sent Christ to die for us having a better life so see that aspect that comes out of this text that first of all God's servants Beg people for this new life. Verse 20 says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. This new life is a life of reconciliation with God. We are those who need to be reconciled to God. And Paul says, I'm like a megaphone. I'm like a bullhorn. I'm... I'm, I'm making an appeal to others. I'm begging others, be reconciled to God. Uh, as Christians, we all do that. We beg people to get this, this new life, 
this reconciled life. And, and, and we, we do it this way. We say, please come to church with me. Please read your Bible. Please let's pray together. Please would you consider God. That's, that's us begging people to be reconciled. And that's what the Apostle Paul says. That was his life. That's what he was doing. He was constantly telling people, realize there is a better life and you don't have it. Please let me show it to you. Uh, verse 10, he says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. It's like, okay, you're going to die one day and you're going to have to stand before Christ. Wouldn't it, be, wouldn't it be really nice if you could stand before him as a reconciled person? As opposed to standing before him and have something between the two of you? Please, Paul says, listen here. We all will have to appear before God. I, I want to show you how you can stand before him and be reconciled. Have nothing between you and him. Nothing that he's mad at you for. Can't, can't you get how crucial that is? You know, um, so we, we, we plead with people. Uh, it's kind of like if if, um, if one of you gets really sick and you don't have insurance, you know, somebody will start a GoFundMe.com kind of thing saying, fund it. Why? Because a life is worth it. A life is in the balance. And the same thing is true here spiritually. We will beg, we will, we will urge, we will plead. Why? Because a life is in the balance. It's worth, a life is worth begging. A life is worth the, the crucial pleading. Nobody's trying to be mean or hurtful. It's just we realize there's a life at stake here. And it could be your life. It could be the life of another one. Um, Paul is convinced of judgment. Uh, verse 11, 12, and 13. He says, I, he says, this is not about me. I'm not commending myself. It's not so that you can see what I, what I know, what I've got. He says, this is about you. It's about persuading you. Um, verse 14, he says, it's the love of Christ that controls me. It's the love that motivates me. The love of Christ. I'm motivated to, to reach out to you to help you. Um, why do we, we come and hear God's word? We, we need preaching. We need a better life. That's why God's put me here. That's why God's put you here, to urge other people to see it. Then he sends Christ to die for it. Don't miss that in the text. Verses 18 and 19. Now all of these things are from God. So this is all God-directed, God-centered, who reconciles us to himself through Christ, gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. He's committed to us that word of reconciliation. Here's, here's, here's the thing. He says, Christ came, died on a cross, so that you wouldn't be accountable for your sin. So he would not count your sin against you. Instead, God said, I'm going to count your sin against Christ. I'm going to let Christ die for you. He's going to be your substitute. Christ is going to die in your place so that I can have you reconciled with God. When God sees you, he won't just see you as a sinner, but he'll see you as a forgiven sinner, and he'll see you as one who has received the righteousness of Christ. Um, 
would God give up Jesus on the cross if it wasn't necessary, if it wasn't urgent? Um, it's amazing. We think that all we need in life is to live a good life, eat, drink, be happy, die, and we go to heaven. Well, regardless of what we do in this life, there's an accounting in heaven. We're going to stand before God on judgment day. Is God going to say, your sins are wiped out, cleansed, washed, forgiven because of Christ? Or are you going to stand on your own merit? See, if you stand on your own merit, you're, you're doomed and you're cast into the pits of hell forever because none of us are righteous and holy. None of us will live this day without sin. We all sin. We desperately need someone to take our sin and not count it against us. And that's what Christ came to do. We need uh, Christ for that. Do you see the urgency of it? Um, let's move to thinking about how to get it. Verse 19 says, Namely, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them. Um, God does not ignore sin. He lays sin on righteousness of God in him. He takes the righteousness of Christ. How, how, do, you, how do you deal with your sinful nature? You know, don't we all have a walk-to-walk problem? Walk? If I forgive you of all your sins today, what are you going to do tomorrow? Are you lost and going to hell tomorrow because you, you didn't walk the walk? See, what we need is, 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 is somebody not just to forgive us, but somebody to radically transform us from the inside out. Someone who says, I want to place within you the, a righteousness that you can't manufacture. It's the righteousness of God in Christ. I want to give you that. I want to trade your sin for righteousness. What do you think about that? That's pretty cool. That God would want to do that so that when he looks at us, he sees Christ's righteousness. So the, the, the wonderful exchange, the wonderful trade is Christ's righteousness. Let me show you to you another place. Look at Isaiah 53. Three verses here that just spell it out. Isaiah 53. Verse 4, 5, and 6. God says, Surely... Our griefs, he, that's Christ, Christ himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. We ourselves esteemed him stricken. He was smitten of God and afflicted, but he was pierced through, for what? For our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Hallelujah. That's, that's great news. God says, I'm going to take all of your sin, and I'm going to put it on Christ. I'm going to trade you. I'm going to trade you. His righteousness for your sin. You know, how do you respond? What do you say to that? Uh, my uh, roommate was, um, well, actually, he married a gal from Dothan, Alabama, my roommate in college. 
and went down to, to visit them after, after college. And uh, uh, there was a famous person down there. I consider him famous. Do you, you consider somebody like John Sesserich, you know, famous? You know? It's, it's this guy that comes on at 5 o'clock every evening, so I considered him famous. And the guy down there that was, had this famous routine was called Ballheaded Ed. Anybody ever heard of Ballheaded Ed? I'm not talking about Ballheaded Jeff or Ballheaded Rob. You know, Ballheaded, Ballheaded Ed. Ballheaded Ed had a fishing report. And that makes sense down in the lower part of Alabama that you're going to do a lot of fishing down there. And, um, so right after the weather report would come the fishing report. And if you've ever been to Cabela's where you have those big, long uh, aquarium, you know, about the length of this stage, an aquarium with fish in it, and you can throw your fishing rod with the lure, and you can watch it come all the way back through the aquarium. And they test out lures that way, so you see this, this little minnow coming through, and as it comes over a big, large-mouth bass, that bass just, just comes up out of the water and grabs it, you know. Well, what ball-headed Ed did is he went and took pictures of that happening. And so the, the weatherman would say, hey, Ed, are they biting? And then the picture would come on the TV of this fish. And he said, oh, son, they are eating it up. And I just loved hearing the fishing report. You know, it was cool. Well, what I didn't know was bald-headed Ed had a used car lot. I mean, I've been watching his fishing report, didn't know he sold cars. Well, I got down there visiting my friend, and uh, he said, uh, I'm going to get up early. I got a paper route to make some extra money. I said, hey, I got a paper route, too. I said, I know how to do that. So I said, I'll go with you. I know how to roll, throw. I said, I can put it wherever you want me to put it. I can throw it over the car, out this window, out that window. I've been there, done that. I can drive with my knees and do it, you know, just however you want it done. Well, we're starting out early in the morning, that paper route, you know, 5 o'clock in the morning kind of thing. And it was cold, as cold as it gets in Dothan, Alabama. And we got the radio going. And uh, as I was listening to the radio, it just stopped and it broke in. You know, and then I heard this familiar sound. Hey, hey, hey. How's that car running? When it's cold, it spits and it sputs and it don't run smooth. And when the car don't run smooth, you don't run smooth. Trade it in at ball-headed ants. <laughs> you just don't forget something like that. And I thought about it. That's exactly what God is saying. Trade it in. How could we be so crazy, nonsensical, as to have a God who wants to say, Hey, I'll trade you Christ's righteousness for your sin." If we don't take the trade, that's just foolish. Because we're all going to stand before God anyway. He says, trade in this life. Why, why is it we can walk through life and ignore that there's a better life in Christ? A life that has His righteousness. So that when we stand before God, we're not standing as those who are 
clothed in our own sin, but standing as those who are clothed in Christ's righteousness. What a beautiful exchange. Let me read verse 21 again. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I'm proud of the righteousness of Christ. Paul says that about himself. He says, when I get to heaven, I'm going to be proud to be there. I'm going to be proud to be there because, not because I've done something that earns myself that right or I'm there because of anything that I've done. I'm proud to be there. I'm proud to be able to say, I've got a Savior who died for me. I've got one who does not consider my sin against me, took it upon himself. I've got a, I'm proud of a Savior who's given me his righteousness. I'm proud to be able to say, condemned, he stood in my place and sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah. What a Savior. All I have had to offer him is brokenness and strife. He makes something beautiful of my life. That's the exchange Christ gives. We have such a terrible life until it's traded for this. And this, this trade that God makes with us, it changes us. We become different. Uh, and begins to tell us that. Verse 17 says, therefore, if this happens, you take trade. If anyone is in Christ, you say, I, I want to be in Christ. And I want Christ in me. That happens, says, you are a new creature. The old things pass away. Behold, new things have come. I want us to think about some of that new, the, the, the wonderful joy of, of a new life in Christ. Uh, obviously, we get to escape the wrath of God forever. Uh, but he begins to show us this new life, this new view of Christ, a new view of man, and a new view of living. You see it all in the text. First of all, this new view of Christ, verse 16 says, Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Now, we don't know him this way any longer. Think about that. You have a new view of Christ. When you receive Christ as your Lord, say, Christ, come into my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Change me. Christ says, okay comes in, immediately gives us a new view of Christ. Uh, up until that point, you've known Christ as a fleshly person, as a real human being, a good man, maybe a good example you need to follow. But as soon as Christ comes into your life, all that changes. He's no longer a person you know according to the flesh. You don't, you don't just know him as a, as a human. You now begin to see him and, and witness him and understand him to be God. He is Lord and King and Master. You don't know Him just as another human. You know Him as, 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 as your Savior and your God. It's a whole different view of Christ. Everybody's got some view of Christ, but the Christian has this view that Christ is King. He's victorious over the grave. He's victorious. I said, I don't look at people that way. When... When I come into your life, you're going to start looking at people the way I look at people. You're not going to look at them anymore just according to the flesh, outwardly. You know, we, we look at people and we judge people basic, basically by their outward appearance. How many of you, somebody else dressed you this morning? You know, picked out your clothes? How many, 
have a wife or a mother who did that. Quit judging me for that. Outward appearances. God says, when I come into your life, that changes. Instead of seeing people outwardly, you start seeing people as either reconciled to God or not reconciled to God. And you start begging with people. The real issue here is, are you reconciled with God? Please submit to Christ. Please read His Word. Please see what He values, His church. You begin to look at people differently. Every, nobody's an enemy. Everybody is someone that needs to either be reconciled to Christ or is already reconciled to Christ. You, you see into a heart position. This person has been changed by God. And it changes our relationships, our perspectives with people. Because instead of judging and condemning, we're pleading with people for a better life. We have a new view of Christ. We have a new view of people. And we also have a new view just of living. Verse 15 says, For if he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves. Notice the new view of living. We don't live for ourselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. This new view of living. We don't live for ourselves anymore. Life, abundant life comes when our Savior's body is joined with our body. And when our Savior's blood is joined with ours, that's represented in the cup which we take. Christ coming to us. This is a time where we acknowledge union with Christ makes all the difference. I worship Him because He is united to me. I see that in the bread and the cup being united to me uh, you're encouraged to say that's what I need I need a union with Christ trust him and live him if you don't you're not to a place you want to trust Christ as your Lord and Savior if you're not to a place where you if you do uh, just let the bread and the wine pass pass on down the road it's voluntary you don't have to take it but if you're a follower of Christ, you want to proclaim, He is in me and I am in Him and this union means everything. This is a time for me to remember that and worship Him. This is a time for me to proclaim it. So this is uh, your opportunity to apply this wonderful message that God gives us in 2 Corinthians 5. I'm going to ask the elders and deacons to come forward and uh, we'll uh, distribute these elements to you and you'll have the opportunity there to, to worship. God for this union that's ours in Christ. These instructions he told him to his own disciples. He says on the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread and as I'm ministering in his name, take this bread. And he says, this is my body. It's broken for you. I want you to take it and eat it in remembrance of me. And then after he had taken the cup, he, uh, the bread, he took the cup and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. And it shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. So drink ye all of it in remembrance of me.
for his glory, both now and forever.